Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pop Anime Comic Sounds, where I have with me the retrosexual and leader of the Green World Order, Anthony Green, who is also known as the Uncle Jesse of Wrestling, who has wrestled for Chaotic Wrestling, Lucky Pro Wrestling, Northeast Championship Wrestling, Limitless Wrestling, and Beyond Wrestling, where your voice can be heard sometimes on commentary, to name a few companies you have worked for. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we were finally able to make it work out. Yeah, now I am super excited to have you on because you've been tearing it up and I think you're getting a lot of attention as you've been professionally wrestling and I put that in air quotes for the last seven years and I'm sure you're going to correct me at some point on that professionally component but I am very curious how you initially got into wrestling. So every time I do an interview or anyone just asks me and they ask me like what are your first memories of wrestling? I remember early WCW we're talking 95 WCW. I was only two years old. I remember Hogan and Ric Flair. I had all the action figures from that San Francisco toy maker era and I specifically specifically remember watching it the next day or a couple days later because my mom would record from a friend's house because she had a black box. She'd record all the pay-per-views for me. And I remember watching the bash at the beach where Hogan turned heel. So my first memories when I first got into wrestling, I was only two years old from what I remember. And then from there, obviously at some point it clicked when you decided to go professional. And when did that start to happen that you got more into it and then you started to say, hey, I can do this for a living. So in my head, I figured that I could become a wrestler when I was seven years old. And that was from watching the first season of Tough Enough, because it was the first time I've ever seen any sort of behind the scenes, like training of how people start becoming wrestlers. And I got to watch actually who ended up being one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, Maven, because I was so young and it was just a cool story to see someone go from not wrestler to a professional WWE superstar. So that was when I first thought in my head and have dreams and imagine myself on Tough Enough or wrestling on a show and stuff like that. But it wasn't until I was 13 years old where I actually found wrestling school from an old backyard wrestling friend and that was only five minutes from my house. And it wasn't the best wrestling school. It wasn't the school that I ended up, I guess, fully training at because I don't really consider my full training until I was 18 years old. But at 13, I learned how to take a fall and I was able to make a lot of connections and network. So at such a young age, I was able to go to other shows and just like set up chairs or set up the ring and just do seminars and help out, which got me familiarized with all the other wrestlers. People got familiar with me, which is how I ended up starting to referee when I turned 16. And let's talk a little bit about refereeing. So why refereeing? How did that all come about? And what was that like for you? I honestly thought when I started refereeing, that was my calling. Like, I'm going to get signed to the WWE as a referee. I was 100% sold on that idea. And the reason why I started refereeing, and it wasn't even necessarily that I wanted to be a referee, but I knew I just wanted to be involved in the business. I love professional wrestling first. So if that's where I'm going to make, I guess, my most money, or if that's where I'm going to be my most successful, that's what I'm going to do. And at the time, I was only 16, and I was already able to notice, why are these people on these shows? Why is so-and-so refereeing on this show? They're terrible. They're doing their job awful. Like, I've been watching wrestling my whole life. You could just go to Dick's Sporting Goods, buy a ref shirt, and 10 times better than that person. I just love wrestling that much. So that's basically what I did. I went to Dick's Sporting Goods. I bought a brand new ref shirt. I had some black pleated pants and some black shoes, and I got booked on 
on the same promotion that I started my training with, which back when I first started, it was called SRW, Strictly Ruthless Wrestling, which then turned into BCW, Base State Championship Wrestling. And just a few notable people that have wrestled there. They've had Matt Taven, who actually main evented that show. I refereed the main event that evening. And they've also had guys like Vinny Marcellia, Bob Evans, and Pinky Sanchez on events as well. And I just thought that was my calling. It was kind of an easy way in. And at such a young age, I still knew like maybe I was too young to wrestle. There weren't many 15 to 18 year old wrestlers locally. So I thought, hey, this is a good start. And now you're refereeing. At what point did you transition from being a referee to becoming a wrestler? And how did that all happen? So there was a point where I was still training during this. And I would still learn all the bumps and falls, arm drags, hip toss, body slams, you name it. I didn't really do many of the drills. If there was like a longer like take this, 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 and this in a row and then add this and do this, I wouldn't be involved in that. But if it was just, all right, everyone get in line, take a hip toss, everyone take an arm drag, I would always do stuff like that but I wouldn't get as involved when it came to like spots and stuff then it was on May 6th 2012 I went to a show called Wrestling Star Wars it was like a fair show kind of it was called Kids Fest and I showed up sometimes I would bring a mask and a singlet and I would do battle royals and stuff or I would referee whatever so I brought both and ended up needing a wrestler and I ended up not wearing the mask and I had a singles match which was my first singles match so I wouldn't say I was fully trained but I could get by and the person that I was wrestling was incredibly talented and it was Julian Starr and he was able to get me through it from there I kind of got the itch I found Spike Dudley's wrestling school a month after I started training full time at Spike Dudley's wrestling school the lockup along with head trainers Nick Steele and H2O Ryan Waters that was in June 2012 and a month later they kind of got me into it right away even though I still wanted to referee and they kind of forced me to do more of those spots that I was uncomfortable with and two months later I was having matches as well so I refed and wrestled the rest of 2012 and then half of 2013 and it was June 2013 I decided I wanted to make the switch and only wrestle and now I think this is a perfect segue into talking about your career and I think people don't understand that the retrosexual is rather new in the last two two and a half years and I kind of want to talk about the first five and a half years where you accomplished a lot of stuff during that time both as a tag team wrestler and as a singles wrestler and I want to talk a little bit about 2012 because you faced some of the top guys around your area including Jack Kruger, JT Dunn, Alex Creed, Kevin Perry, Hunter, Ward, Steve Wiener and Jay Buster possibly with a Bella twin accompanying you in that match. That's a real thing that happened. What was it like to face all these guys and be in all these matches starting out in your first year? It was definitely a good learning experience for me. I feel like some of those guys were still at the same level or possibly even a little less than me when it came to like understanding wrestling because yes they loved it but there's something about my brain that works differently than most people's brains especially with wrestling and stuff so I think it helped me early wrestling guys with less experience just to make myself work harder and get better faster and then also just a lot of the guys that I got to share locker rooms with I feel like that helped me a lot really early on being in locker rooms with guys like Brian Fury and H2O Ryan Waters, Bob Evans, Mike Pava, just to name a few. And then also those CTWE shows, which is where I wrestled Jay Busta, and I was managed by Bree Bella, and he was managed by Nikki Bella. Those shows were always stacked with, like, Ring of Honor guys, like Adam Cole was there. They've had Rhett Titus, 
Rhino, Trent Beretta. I'm just naming some of the guys that have been there. But like just being under their learning tree and being able to talk to them and ask them to watch my matches helped me a lot during that 2012-2013 era. And what was it like to work with a Bella Twin? Because obviously they're retired now, sort of, but they've accomplished so much in WWE. And we're going to get to a bunch of other people who wrestled in WWE in a little bit. But what was it like to kind of have that initial experience? So, currently at least, that is their only in-ring, independent wrestling appearance they've ever had. Ever. They've never done anything involvement in independent wrestling. They've done a signing at an independent wrestling show, but they've never done anything physical in-ring other than this one. So that's cool on its own. At this point, they left WWE already, and they were just doing their own thing. And then they came back, I think, four or five months later in 2013. So the fact that I'm one of four people in independent wrestling that includes my opponent, his manager, and the referee to work with the Bella Twin on an independent wrestling show. I think it's one of like the coolest and biggest highlights of my young career. And we're going to continue to talk about 2012. As this was going on, you were also interjected into the PLW World Tag Team picture in Power League Wrestling. And you had several partners, Kuma, Jason the Slasher, and Big Scott against Matt Storm and TJ Richer. What was this like for you being young and having a tag team opportunity so early on? Before we even get into that, I want to mention that my early stages of training, even when I was a referee, the guy that forced me to take a lot of those hip tosses, arm drags, and bumps was TJ Richter. So I do want to thank him for that during that time. And then, yeah, it was really cool. All those shows were fair shows. So really big crowds, all kids that didn't really know what pro wrestling was. And they were just watching a fight to see and being so new my first plw match i wrestled this guy john monroe that was like my third or fourth match ever so places like plw and mcw have always been the places to get your feet wet and they're always the places to give the younger guys the opportunity i want to thank them for doing that as well and then being able to work with matt storm and tj richter both guys that have been staples of new england wrestling since the mid late 90s and to be able to work with them i think it helped me a lot early on just maybe even understand selling and calling it in the ring and not just calling a bunch of high spots and stuff like that and they were both really giving and really nice and it was just really really cool for me it was all just part of like a big story to build me up each guy if you can tell by their name they're kind of monsters kuma was similar to like a kamala character jason the slasher was jason Voorhees, basically and then big scott was also a bigger like six foot seven kind of guy and next year once we get to that part in 2013 i teamed with a guy named rob the giant which is a bit ironic because he's a little person him and i ended up wrestling for the tag team titles spoiler alert we ended up winning them. And what was that like winning your first titles off of these two guys? Yeah, my first ever championship. That was really cool, especially because Spike Dudley, my first full wrestling trainer, actually helped us win the titles. So that was really cool. My family was there to see it. It just meant a lot that there was a promotion, regardless of how big or how small, me only being basically one year as a wrestler, putting faith in me was really cool. And you faced a few different teams in defending these belts, including a rematch with Matt Storm and TJ Richer, Christian 
Team Casanova and Scott Slade and the Glamorous Express against Buddy Romero and Mike Pava, which you may or may not have been part of these matches playing out. So how did you feel about all these matches and your title defense and really your initial title defenses? The first one with Matt and TJ is really cool. It was another like smaller charity event and actually Kenny Dykstra, also known as Kenny from the Spirit Squad, helped us when their heel manager, Rich Bass, tried to get involved. So that was neat. Also, the next match was against Scotty Slade and Christian Casanova and that was cool to be a part of because at that point Scotty was helping a lot of the newer guys at the New England Pro Wrestling Academy and Christian was brand new only had maybe four or five matches so I got to be a part of one of Christian's earliest matches and then yes the next title defense I was not there and we happened to lose the belts and I blame Christian Casanova and Rob the Giant for that one. And obviously, losses happened, but to continue talking about 2013, you had several other matches that occurred. And before we get to those rivalries, I want to talk about a few of those matches, and one of them was with FBI and a no DQ. Also, you teamed up with Mikey Chase to defeat the Platinum Entourage, Jay Busta and Steve Stamos in a Loser Wears a Dress match. And you also yep. faced Steve Stamos in a Loser Wears a Bikini match, as well as facing the Blue World Order, which you are the leader of the Green World Order, and and that team consisted yep. of Blue Meanie, Nova, and Thomas Rodman. What were these matches like for you as they kind of showed a more fun side to your character and show versatility so young in your career? So the first one you mentioned was for Lucky Pro Wrestling against the Full-Blooded Italians. It was Nunzio and Big Vito. That was my first ever indie wrestling main event. It was also the first time I was ever put in the ring with guys that have been on TV, bigger names. So that was a really cool experience for me. The second one you mentioned was a lot of fun. At CTWE, we did a whole storyline where I was the referee turned wrestler. I was known as the Revolution. And after some bull crap done by Jay Bust and Stevie Stamos, the believer, Mikey Chase, kind of joined my side. We became a tag team and we challenged them to losers for a dress match where we were able to pick up the win. And going a month later, Stevie Stamos challenged me to a loser wears a yellow polka dot bikini match where again, he kind of made himself look like an idiot, and I was able to beat him too. For those matches, a lot of them weren't about the moves. They were about moments in the match, not the moves. I feel like that helped a lot with me when it came to like not worrying about, all right, I got to do my cool double backflip off the top, and more about, okay, how can we make the most out of this here? This match is about wins and losses, not about who can do the coolest move. And then going back to the other match you're mentioning is the BWO. That was another opportunity for me to stand out and wrestle guys that have been on television. So it's always cool when you're able to get in the ring with Simon Dean or Blue Meanie, guys you watched growing up as a kid. So that was neat. And I mentioned that you had other rivalries occurring in 2013, and one of them was against the Heaters, which consisted of Kevin Perry and your former trainer, Ryan Waters. And you had several tag team partners. Cam Zammy, Jason Blade was also a tag team partner. What was it like facing Kevin Perry and Ryan Waters, who was your former trainer, as you have some history with both of them? So yeah, Kevin Perry was actually my training buddy. He may have started a couple months before I did, and then I came in, and him and I were always neck and neck when it came to the training, which was always good to have friendly competition. We weren't out to kill each other, but we always wanted to see like who was doing better, who's having the better matches, stuff like that. So when him and I got in the ring, it was always about the competition, which was cool. And then when wrestling, Ryan Waters was always neat because he was my trainer, and he did help me out so much. So it was cool to apply the things that he taught me. And the two of you had amazing 
amazing matches with both these tag team partners. And it eventually became a bit of a messy situation as the heaters became the prestige with Matt Magnum, which you had the tag team titles and then you didn't have them and then you dropped them and everything got messy in that realm. So what was that like when things kind of get a little muddy? So at that point, Kevin Perry had like a real life situation happen. So he had to leave and Ryan Waters original tag team partner, Matt Magnum came back and joined them up and they took the tag titles back. There was a huge show at the Westport High School and they wanted the big good guys to win that night. So me and Mike Webb joined forces and with the help from the Westport Wildcat, we were able to take home the tag team titles. And then a week or two weeks later, we ended up losing the belts back to the Prestige, sadly. But it was still cool. It was still a cool experience. Anytime a promotion is willing to put the ball behind you and push you hard and give you a title, regardless if it's for, you know, a week or a year, they're saying, hey, you earned this or hey, we believe in you, which is always really cool. And this was your third tag team title, if I'm correct. What is it like when you get another promotion's tag team titles under your belt for you? I guess based on how many tag partners I've had, I'm probably like the greatest tag team partner in history or something. I don't know. At this point, it was my third tag title with a third partner. I don't know if it's because I was newer still at the time. I was less than two years in at this point and maybe they just didn't see me as like a top singles guy or think I had enough experience. But for me, any experience was a good experience. So throwing me in a tag team didn't bother me at all. And as this rivalry was going on, you got into a rivalry with Mike Pava that started off with the two of you facing and ended in a last man standing match. There's yeah. only three matches from my understanding. What was that like? So it's like a mini rivalry. I believe we had four total. There was two matches in March, one match in April, and there was a bunch of Gaga in between. And then we did a Survivor Series match too. But no, Mike Pava is a guy that has helped me so much, not necessarily when it came to training, but just going on the road with him was always cool. Like before I even had my license, he would take me to shows and referee and stuff. So he's still to this day is one of my best friends in and out of wrestling quick feel-good story about Mike Pava. His goal has always been to work in the ECW arena. He's always wanted to wrestle there. Sadly, he's stopped wrestling since because of injuries, and he's getting older, and he just doesn't have it anymore or doesn't want to do it anymore. However he feels about it, I still think he can do it if he wanted. Regardless, I was able to get him to referee my match at CZW Cage Death 20 this past December. So though it was in a different way, he was able to work officially in the ECW arena. Side note, he's a great friend of mine. I love him. The feud was awesome. He helped me a lot. A lot of it was just me selling and it was cool being able to build a story because the crowd that was there, they always understood it. It wasn't just one-off shows. It was a consistent fan base that followed what we were doing. So they were into the matches that we were having. So we didn't have to bust out everything every single show. We were able to kind of build up to the crescendo and build up to that last man standing match, which meant the most. And the reason why I bring this up is funny thing happens in wrestling sometimes where you your enemies become your friends and sometimes become your tag team partners and the two of you eventually formed a tag team back to the fusion and you captured the northeast tag team championships what was that like for you given that you were just fighting each other and now you're working together actually i have the belt that we won they've since changed the title so i have the original ncw tag 
tag team title that we won to this day. So that's pretty cool. It was awesome. I was really happy teaming with him. I was so excited that I designed matching gear for us to have. And it's gear that I still keep to this day. I don't wear it anymore, but I still have it as like a memory. And it was awesome. I loved it. It didn't last super long time because 2014 is where I started kind of getting out there more and more. So I wasn't able to make as many NCW events, but it was definitely cool that two great friends were able to be partners. And now let's talk a little bit about your singles career starting in 2014 because you had a few single matches that I want to talk about. One of them was Kurt Hawkins, Nikki Valentine, Davian, and Joey Janela. What was it like to wrestle some of the best wrestlers at the time and they still are in many ways? So some of them, I wasn't able to wrestle them in singles matches. Some of them I teamed with in 2014. I teamed with Joey Janela in a match and that was cool because that was right before he really broke out and then I teamed with with Kurt Hawkins in 2014 against Jason Blade and Todd Sopel, which was pretty cool. That was also at Lucky Pro because he was only maybe a few months removed from his first WWE run. So it was cool to be able to work with him and sit under his learning tree as well. 2015, I had a tag match against Kurt Hawkins where he teamed with my favorite wrestler, Maven. And then it wasn't until 2016 where I finally got to have my singles match with Kurt Hawkins literally weeks before he returned to the WWE. And we're going to get to that because I think I know where we're going with this one and you'll correct me if I'm wrong but before we get there we got to talk about something that happened in 2015 and this was an exciting year for you in Lucky Pro Wrestling as you were involved in this little thing called the LPW Hard Knocks title tournament and you faced Mikey Webb, Brian Fury, Frankie and Aaron, Jason Blade and Randy Shaw to become their first champion. What was that like for you to have a company make you their first champion and how did it make you feel going into all this? So yeah Lucky Pro Wrestling did a lot of firsts for me. They were the first company to let me main event a show. And that was also the main event of their first ever show. They were the first company to put me in the ring with like a bigger name to wrestle. And then I was their first ever Lucky Pro Wrestling Hard Knocks champion, which they called the Workhorse title, basically the Intercontinental title. So that was really cool. All the guys you mentioned are incredibly talented. Brian Fury is where I ended up finishing my wrestling training. And I started training with him in November 2014. So at that point, I was training three or four months with him and I was able to wrestle him on a show. Mikey Webb, one of my best friends, I was able to wrestle him that same night. Frankie Arion is a guy that I wanted to wrestle for a long time. I was actually able to have two singles matches with him, which was neat. And then the finals of the tournament was a triple threat 30-minute Ironman match, which is just incredibly unique and different in independent wrestling and just professional wrestling as a whole. So it was cool being a part of a match like that. And I don't think people realize this about you or the belt but you defended this belt for over 700 days and i think you're the longest reigning champ still as far as days go and i don't think people realize who you faced you faced kurt hawkins defending this belt scotty slade todd sopley cam zagami little guido christian casanova to name a few and you've been in the ring with most of these guys either tagging with them or against them in some way before this match But what was it like to face them with a little more experience as well as the pressure of a title being on the line? It definitely made me more confident for a lot of those matches. A match like Cam Zagami, I know Cam Zagami through and through. I can read him like the back of my hand because him and I teamed for so long. So wrestling him, we kind of knew each other's stuff. So that kind of added a little different element to that match. Being able to wrestle Kurt Hawkins was a great experience or little Guido Nunzio was another great experience. My first title defense was a triple threat match against Brick Mastone, who ended up being the guy beating me for the title, and Scotty Slade in a triple threat. And then Scotty Slade and 
and I kind of ended up having a couple matches back and forth as well. So it was a really cool time for me, especially because there weren't many promotions throwing championships at me or throwing top matches at me. So during the 2015-2016 time, it was just really neat. And now before we talk about Tessa Blanchard, which you may or may not be familiar with, I, want, heard of her. I do want to give a prequel to the retrosexual here because you are a retro wrestling fan. And one of the cool things that happened at Lucky Pro is that you got to team with Brutus the Beefcake. I did team with Brutus Beefcake. I also, in 2016, teamed with Bushwhacker Luke. So what is it like for you being that you're a retro wrestling fan and that you grew up in the old WCW and you're from my generation of wrestling because I'm 26, you're 25. What was it like for you to have those moments? It's the coolest thing ever. I would compare it to like someone that plays high school basketball, plays college basketball, and you're able to play basketball with LeBron James. You get to play a pickup game with LeBron James. It's the coolest thing ever. At such a young age, I was only 21 at the time, being able to get in the ring with Brutus Beefcake, regardless if it was at WrestleMania or at a lucky pro wrestling show, it's still something you can't take away from it. It's just the coolest experience. And now backing out of that and talking about Tessa Blanchard, in 2015, you won the Kings and Queens tournament with her in Lucky Pro. She is around your age. She came in at the same time. She's really from our generation of wrestling. What was that like to be teaming up with somebody who, A, has a lot of clout and is so damn good? So at that point, she was probably a year and a half in, maybe two years in at wrestling. I met her in 2014 at the Dr. Tom Pritchard Futures Wrestling Camp at the NWA Legends Fan Fest, which was in August. And we just kind of stayed connected and became friends from there. And then the option came up that there was an intergender tag tournament at Lucky Pro Wrestling. And that was my pitch to be my tag partner. And they were able to make it happen. Her and I got custom gear for the event and I have the crown to this day. And another fun thing that happened this year is that you started teaming or continued to team with Cam Zagami where you were previously rivals and had matches against each other, but you formed Cam and Connections. How did this form about? So at this point, we started teaming in July 2013, had a couple matches. It wasn't until the end of 2014 and early 2015 where we tagged rather consistently. But towards the end of the year uh, of 2015, he ended up getting chosen for a reality show called American Grit. And at that point, he kind of just wanted to do his own thing. So he did his own thing for a while. And then all of 2016, we really didn't team much. And then 2017, it kind of turned into the Caman reconnection. And that's where him and I had our most successful portion of our tag career because we kind of found ourselves, really. And that was just for chaotic wrestling. And I want to talk a little bit about this. So in 2015, the two of you captured the World Extreme Championship Wrestling titles, which you're sort of still in possession of them. And in Extreme, you wrestled Alpha Jr. and Lance Anoa'i, the Punk Rock All-Stars, Puerto Rican Brothers, the Dub Boys, South Philly's Finest, and Muscle Mayhem, to name a few, to really go on this quest for the gold. What was it like facing these teams and having these opportunities and really capturing these titles? So it was weird because I walked into the company in January 2015 and immediately was thrown in the main event with Cam to wrestle Lance on Hawaii and another gentleman. And we ended up in a disqualification. And then the next show, we were challenged by Lance and his big uncle, Alpha Jr., also known as Manu from WWE. And we ended up wrestling them. And then from there, kind of where our push began to win the tag titles. We actually also wrestled Leo Rush in a really young Velvet 
bulletin dream when they were a few months into having matches. So that was a pretty cool experience to be able to work with them at such a young age. We won the belts in July of 2015, and we actually did lose the belts. For whatever reason, the cagematch.net still says we're the champions, but we actually lost them to South Philly's Finest in a tag gauntlet in January of 2016. So there's that. Breaking news. And then 2016 was really a dead year for this tag team, but then you guys reunited in 2017 in Chaotic Wrestling, and you faced teams like Team Friendship, Kurt Hawkins and Maven Huffman, Team Pazuzu, EYFBO, the Mill City Hooligans, which we've had several matches with, including winning the titles from the American Destroyers, Kill Nova, and the Spirit Squad. What was it like to face these teams and really have an amazing run as a tag team? with each other i think based on the names you just said i feel like there's real no explanation for it we got to wrestle donovan dijack we got to wrestle eyfbo aka lax from impact the spirit squad and then a local tag team that doesn't get enough credit and that's the logan brothers the logan brothers have been great for years they have been nine time chaotic wrestling tag team champions and to be able to work with them was just awesome for us because of how good they are at tag team wrestling and we ended our feud and gained their respect finally after wrestling them in a mill city street fight which was their go-to match like that was the match they made famous and we beat them at their own game at the chaotic countdown in 2017 and now one of the things about this title reign and it was the last few matches in the run is that you were single-handedly defending these belts sure was what was that like and how did you feel about it really having the ability to kind of shine in the match I don't know what it was. There was something that changed in my brain and said, I don't need Kamzigami anymore, that I think I can do this on my own. And I threw a fireball in his face. And while he was gone for three months, I defended the tag titles by myself for two shows successfully. And then on his return of when he decided to come back, I lost the titles to Mainstay Posse. But it actually took three men to beat me instead of two. So I feel like it was kind of BS. I never got my rematch. And now that's really the first five and a half years of your career and now i want to talk about the last two and two and a half and this is the birth of the retrosexual uncle jesse green world order is slightly newer for you and it's arguably one of the best things you've done in wrestling to this date how did all this come about and how were these ideas formed and how was this created because there was a real change that occurred between the retrosexual error as i'm dubbing it and pre-retrosexual error though i had some really cool matches happen in 2017. I think 2017 was probably my worst year of professional wrestling. Just I don't think I went out of my way to do much. I was kind of complacent and I felt like I just didn't want it anymore. In August of 2017 I was debating quitting by December and I was just kind of over it and that's just kind of what happens when you're five, six years in. You get that feeling like, oh, like what are we doing this for? And that was the feeling that I was getting and then in December it was gut check time. What am I going to do and instead of taking my ball and going home i decided to just reinvent myself and find something new that would at least make me happy and i talked to a few friends in a group chat and i kind of pitched this idea after being told that i'm not as big as brian cage i'm not as jacked as brian cage and i'm not as athletic and as flippy as ar fox so what do i have that's going to make me different and i said my charisma and that's where the whole retrosexual name came about and when i was asked questions about what the character would do i was able to answer them with ease and i just kind of 
found myself and found something that I felt like I could latch on to. And that was that persona. And that's kind of just how it was born. And now the retrosexual has a few distinguishing characteristics. Your pants as they rip off the fanny pack, yep. the platinum honeys. How did all this come into your character and how was it added in? Because it really does make your character when you come out into the ring. So each piece just kind of came slowly but surely. The first was the fanny pack. That was the easiest bit. When you think old school pro wrestling or when you think 80s and 90s, everyone was wearing a fanny pack. So that was a pretty easy one. I knew I wanted to wear Zubas, but I've seen a million wrestlers wear Zubas to the ring just because it's tongue in cheek and it's funny. So I thought, what can I do differently to make myself more unique? So I made mine tearaways just to change it up. And then the girls kind of fell on my lap, no pun intended, where they were training at the wrestling school. There were two beautiful blonde girls and the promotion Chaotic Wrestling wanted me to have a WrestleMania type entrance at their big show Cold Fury. And they thought to put the two girls with me and they did an outstanding job on how they looked that evening. They wanted to keep them with me, at least for my entrance. And then they started getting more involved and more and more promotions started asking for them. And it just kind of blew up in 2018, 2019. And I think we should mention that the Platinum Honeys, they are, I believe, the WSU Women's Tag Team champs right now. Yeah, they are. So they're not just a pretty face. They are both really good wrestlers. Yes, very talented girls. They both do singles matches as well. Ava Everett just wrestled for Lucky Pro Wrestling this past Saturday night. Wrestled a girl named Isana. So they're both doing really well. And now I think we teased it slightly in the last question that I was asking, but this did start a new era for you. And one of the big things that happened in 2018 in Chaotic Wrestling was that you got an opportunity to face Josh Briggs for the CW New England title. And this was really the first big event that happened in the retrosexual era, as we're dubbing it now. So what was that like going up against him? Because he's a big guy. In 2018, I had a lot of really good opportunities when I started doing the retrosexual, I got to wrestle in the Young Lions Cup and I lost. I got to wrestle in the ECWA Super 8, which is a historic tournament, and I lost again. And I was like, all right, am I just going to keep blowing every big opportunity I get? And then it came to August 2018. I had the opportunity to wrestle for the Chaotic Wrestling New England Championship, and I was able to pull it off. So that was like kind of the first stepping stone for the retrosexual, as in becoming a top guy in the area. And obviously you had other single title wins before this, but did you feel that capturing this kind of legitimized your character and reaffirmed your change in character and the change that you made in wrestling and kind of made it solidified a little bit for you? 100%. When I first decided to change the gimmick, I talked to my trainer and he asked me, do I want to be a top guy or do I want to make a lot of money? And he says, I think this character can make a lot of money. I just don't see it as a main event guy. And I said, well, we all know that the championships are cool but championships are given to you and wins and losses we know pro wrestling it's predetermined but money's real how much money you can make in wrestling it's a real thing and if i'm going to be able to make a living off of professional wrestling based on this character i care more about that than whether or not i'm the main event or if i'm just the opening match and i think that kind of solidified it for me like clearly the retrosexual can be a top guy i'm the chaotic wrestling new england champion i'm the champion of new england now the promotion chaotic wrestling has been around for nearly 20 years is putting a lot behind me, even only wrestling there since 2014. And speaking about that, 
And I think this is relevant where obviously money is real in wrestling. For those who are about to burst the bubble, it does have predetermined outcomes. But all throughout this year, you had some top matches and a lot of other promotions as well, including Limitless Wrestling, CMZ, Beyond Wrestling, where you faced DJZ, Colt Cabana, Joey Ryan, Ashley Vox, Martin Stone, AR Fox, David Starr, and Space Monkey, to name a few. And so I'm going to push back a little bit on that, where obviously the people I just mentioned are all top guys, and you're in the ring with them. What was that like, as they all bring something to the table in a match, and what was that like for you? It was an incredible experience for me. In the year 2018, I wrestled a guy that was currently in NXT in Martin Stone, also known as Danny Birch. I wrestled a guy that was under contract or working with Ring of Honor, a guy like Colt Cabana, a guy like DJZ, who was with Impact for years, just to name a few of the main promotions. And then I got to wrestle some of the best independent wrestlers, period. Guys like Ace Romero, JT Dunn, Ashley Vox, Josh Briggs, AR Fox, the list goes on. Christian Casanova, who's local in this area, just so incredible. Cheeseburger, who's in Ring of Honor, all that kind of really established me and made it clear like, hey, all right, AG's the guy in the area now, right? AG is becoming the guy elsewhere now. I took over New England. Now I'm slowly taking over the Northeast. Now I'm moving to the Midwest. I'm really trying to get out there. And speaking about you getting out there, I think 2019 is the retribution tour for you, as it's in full effect. And I want to start with the CZW invasion for you, where you became their Mm -hmm. world heavyweight champ and then had a match with David Starr following that. And obviously David Starr was coming off of his entire Sinclair cut and promotion and being in that and getting a lot of heat and getting a lot of attention for that. What was that experience like for you getting to wrestle somebody who really does put asses in for lack of a better word. So I actually wrestled him at Cage of Death in December of 2018, and I was able to defeat him, continuing my CZW undefeated streak. And then it was best of the best just in April that happened, where I won the first round of the tournament, which was a fatal four-way against Mance Warner, Anthony Gangone, and B-Boy. And Mance Warner was the CZW world champion, so the title was on the line throughout the tournament. I picked up the win, and then it was the second round after getting hit with a chair and then getting stomped on with a chair. I had to kind of walk into the second round a bit bruised and beaten up. And David Starr, on top of being an incredible wrestler, he's also a smart wrestler and took advantage of the situation. And it was really awesome. David Starr has hit me harder than almost anyone I've ever wrestled. But man, is he really good at wrestling. And then, obviously, we're going to continue talking about your venturing out here and other promotions, including Black Label Pro, where you were involved in matches with Gary J and Ethan Page, along with facing MJF and Lim. Limitless Wrestling, and he's going to AEW, having a loser loses their mustache with Yondling Johan Wunderschneitzel in Pro Wrestling Explosion, and I know you care about your mustache. What was this like for you? And in particular, I want to know what the pressure was with your mustache on the line. I definitely cared about my mustache way more than Yodeling <laughs> Johan, so I had no doubt in my mind I was going to win that one, so no sweat off my mustache, I guess. And then MJF is awesome, being able to work with him in my debut at Black label pro immediately had me wrestle their heavyweight champion at the time ethan page so that was really cool and then most recently giving me my first singles match in the company i got to have a banger with gary J. and man he's awesome too and i know we're missing a few matches and we're skipping over some stuff but i think it's a great place to end which is to talk about beyond wrestling sure as it is one of your home places you wrestle everybody's kind of got a home territory and i'm imagining it's yours 
And you've had quite a few matches there so far this year, including Lisa Marie Veron, also known as Victoria slash Tara from Impact Wrestling and WWE, Gang Garel from WWE, and everything that he's done has just been interesting. And then recently, Snicker approved Stevie Richards. Yes. All who have had careers, and all of them have had careers in WWE, ECW, Impact Wrestling, and other promotions where they've made a name for themselves, those three. What was this like facing them? I am legitimately the biggest wrestling fan you will ever meet. I really, truly am. And the Retribution Tour was an idea between myself and the promoters of Beyond Wrestling. And I just thought it was the perfect concept to mix the super indie wrestling style with just the common wrestling fan. And the crowd truly enjoys seeing these guys. Yes, they love seeing Chris Dickinson and Josh Briggs and John Silver, Chris Statlin. They love seeing these guys and girls. But man, how cool is it to say you got to see Gangrel wrestle live? Or how cool is it to say that you got to see Victoria wrestle live? And see them absolutely kill it in there too. All three of them were so hard in the matches with me. They went above and beyond what they should have done. There are plenty of big names that go in there. They take their $2,000 pay or $1,000, whatever they're getting. They just take the money and run. And then they put on a half-assed performance. All three of them worked their asses off and put on a show. And they were all so kind, not just to me, to the fans during the meet and greet and honestly like, I couldn't have asked for like a better first three opponents and I hope whoever's lined up for the future I get the same expectation of the three that I had they were just all so awesome and they were all so good special highlight was Gangrel Gangrel's a guy I've wanted to wrestle for years since I met him in 2015 because he just works so hard and that's a guy that hustles and has never taken a night off in his life and I've seen these matches and a lot of people hopefully who are listening have seen these matches and it many ways you know unfortunately sometimes in wrestling and we see it with WWE and other promotions where a loss hurts somebody and I feel and I don't know how you feel about this and I'm curious it doesn't seem that you were hurt in any which way by them beating you in fact it almost seems that it benefited you and your career even more especially with the nice words that Stevie Richards said to you at Lethal Lottery I have to agree 100% with you man like I think their experience obviously compared to mine definitely helped them when it comes to wins and losses winky wink nudge nudge but in all seriousness all of them after the match even in the locker room just talked to me and made me feel so good and they all had nice words to say even like Lisa Marie and Gangrel went out of their way to message me days after just to thank me and tell me how much fun they had and it honestly blows my mind when Gangrel says oh hey brother here's my phone number you know text me 10 year old me would never believe that's a real thing that would happen in 2019 or when I'm 25 years old so it's just like the wins and the losses cool It'd be really cool to say that I beat Gangrel. But how much cooler is it to say that Gangrel gave me the Impaler DDT? Or how cool is it to say I took the Stevie kick? Or Victoria gave me the Widow's Peak? Taking those moves that made them famous on television are so much cooler than me paying them for a three count. And this all happens at Beyond Wrestling, and I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff that is in the future. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh yeah, big stuff coming. But I do want to talk about one more thing that is going on with Beyond, and sometimes you're on commentary. What is yeah. that like? Because I'm very curious what that is like for you, being on commentary and calling matches and also being able to wrestle and beyond. And what does the other side look like to you? I will never discredit a commentator ever because it is 
so incredibly strenuous and hard. I bumble over my own words sometimes. You don't want to talk over the other commentator. I was the color commentator. It was hard for me to just tell the story. And then I would see a cool move and I would love to yell Inzagiri, but I know that's not my place. But it was really cool. It was a cool experience, especially at old Beyond shows. You would just have a microphone and you would watch the match live. Now that it's filmed on IWTV.live, Independent Wrestling TV, promo code BEYOND or promo code UNCHARTED for 20 days free. So you can watch Uncharted Territory for free for two weeks and then it would charge you monthly. Quick plug there. It's so cool being able to watch it on a screen and there's live cuts and you can hear a person through a headset and it's just such a more legitimate setups than the original Beyond Days when they started in a barn. And will we get you back on commentary? Because after that Richard Holiday thing... Oh, so this week is Josh Briggs on commentary. Whenever this would air, when we're talking now, Josh Briggs will be back on commentary. And I'm not sure who's set up for the future weeks. Maybe I'll be able to snag a seat in there again with Paul Crockett, but I'm honestly not sure. And now getting back to the serious side, I think we just covered a chunk of your career, and I would like to end there. But I do want to talk and ask you two, three more questions here. And one of them is that you've had a bunch of matches. You've been wrestling for seven years, and you're probably in the best years of your career. You've got an amazing character, and you're doing amazing things, as we just spoke about for the last hour or so. But what advice do you have for people who want to get into wrestling? Get a gym membership. It's incredibly important. I did not get one until over a year year after doing actual wrestling, being in the ring wrestling, and just being able to work out. It's going to help your body and your muscles and your bones and your cardio so much. Definitely get a gym membership. If you're going to do it, find the best possible wrestling school you can. You want to have good training. I could make a suggestion for you if you're in the New England, Massachusetts area, the New England Pro Wrestling Academy, formerly known as the Chaotic Training Center, and before that, it was known as the Killer Kowalski School of Pro Wrestling. It's put out the best of the best. If you want to go all the way back to the Killer Kowalski days, they trained Big John Studd, Perry Saturn, China, Triple H. Go towards the chaotic times, they trained Kofi Kingston, Aaron the Idol Stevens, formerly known as Damian Sandow, Warbeard Hanson, Brian Malonis, and then you go to the New England Pressing Academy times, Mercedes, now you might know her as Sasha Banks, Donovan Dijak, Flip Gordon, Josh Briggs, myself. I think the names I mentioned are enough. Get good training. All wrestling schools are going to be expensive. Don't nickel and diamond. If you can afford it, find the best possible school you can and then finally i'd like to give you an opportunity to promote yourself do you have a twitter facebook page instagram merchandise when are we getting green new world order shirts so the green world order shirts i had way back in the day when i first had the match and they were printed and actually Dijak called me out on it and said 2013 custom printed gwo shirts 2019 paint marker shirt it's so true but i wasn't expecting it to blow up as much as it did this past time so there might be gwo shirts in the near future I do have Twitter. It's at RetroAG. I have Instagram at RetroAG underscore. I also have a Pro Wrestling Tees account, which is ProWrestlingTees.com slash RetroAG. Also, Independent Wrestling TV, promo code UNCHARTED. You get 20 days free. And say that I sent you. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitch Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can check us out at popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as give us a follow on Twitter at popanimecomics. Like our Instagram, that is popanimecomics. Like our Facebook page, popanimecomics. I also have a pro wrestling t-shirt shop, that is popanimecomics. Please buy my shirt. It's an elf holding a steel chair, and she really doesn't want to come knocking on your door and 
hit you with it. So the best way how to avoid that is to buy my shirt. And until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.